I do have a very, very favorite and very special karaoke song that I go to. My personal favorite is uh, The Passenger by Iggy Pop. Mm. Uh, it's definitely a one that you can have several beverages towards and uh, kind of just mumble your way through and let people clap. And it, it just it, it works, you know, the nose plays. It's got some swing to it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Grant, what about you? Well, I'm kind of a karaoke bit artist. Uh, I think the last time I sang karaoke at a bar it was the first six verses of O Come All You Faithful. And <laughs> it was, I, I think it was in the middle of August. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize the song goes for about 12 minutes, so I ended up having to cut myself off. Uh, what about you, Macy? My dream one day is to do uh, I Want to Be Your Lover by Prince. Mm. I think mm. that would be fun. And uh, I would just have to rest my voice for a couple days so I could hit the falsetto. Yeah, that's all, but... you'd, that's all you'd have to do. <laughs> the whole, yeah, that'd yeah, be fine. <laughs> my real one, though, is uh, I've done it a couple times, but uh, it's Let's Give Them Something to Talk About by Bonnie Raitt. Oh, oh my gosh, that is amazing.
Alright, so uh, let's go ahead and get into it a little bit. Um, for those of you who, who don't know Macy or aren't familiar with them, he is one of my best friends. He lives in Houston, and he doesn't do really anything in the music industry, but he does do a lot of construction work. Macy, you wanted to talk about uh, Songs from the Big Chair by Tears for Fears. Yes, I did. Uh, y'all asked me to pick an album, and this I picked this one because uh, I knew no one else would pick it. Correct. And and that hurts my feelings for two reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a near flawless album. It ta- and it's it's so interesting because the, it's interesting the whole time, and it takes it takes its time, and it doesn't rush anything. And uh, but I just knew no one would pick it, and uh, and it's a fun one to talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about getting into this one. Uh, some background on the album itself came out in February of 1985. Um, in 1985, uh, some of the things that were charting at the time, um, there was a lot of Madonna, mm-hmm. some Phil Collins. Um, there was some, oh boy, some uh, Huey Lewis in the news. Uh, Macy, do you have any love for Huey Lewis in the news? Uh they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about a lot of artists on the uh, on kind of the the Hot 100 from that year. Is it's all kind of uh, a menagerie of well, that happened, um, and I kind of fully expected to feel that way about uh, songs from the Big Chair, and um, I'm glad to say that I did not. It's it's interesting because. Uh... This album is five times platinum, but it still feels underappreciated as a quintessential 80s album. It's difficult with some of that new wave because it all blends together, I think, for people that weren't around to experience it. And I don't know, I don't know the culture behind if people were like taking sides between like, you know, I'm a Tears for Fears guy or I'm a depeche mode guy like or i'm a duran duran or guy duran duran yeah. absolutely yeah it's it's real interesting to think about this wave of pop music uh that was kind of i don't know it it even i'm sure felt at the time that this was very of the moment um but in america during this time was when a lot of the underground rock scene really started to develop there was, you know, Husker Du and the Minutemen and Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. Slayer. Um, yeah, even going into Metallica and Slayer, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in underground music in America. But I, I really don't have any real relationship to pop music at this time. Not even really. I mean, Madonna's great and stuff, but I don't really have a relationship with any of her music. The American music of like Sonic Youth and those that uh, that Holden mentioned, uh, those are more, all, I mean not I mean rock and roll based music. Yes. And and uh, Tears for Fears weren't listening to that. No. They they were listening to Brian Eno and the yeah. Talking Heads and uh, yeah, different stuff and feeling the same feelings as those as the other bands, but just coming about it in a completely different way. Yeah, that's it's kind of interesting to think about um, 
kind of Sonic Youth and even uh, Husker Du both have elements of like the avant-garde. And when you're thinking about being influenced by like Brian Eno and the Talking Heads, that's a different sort of avant-garde. But I kind of pop music while being influenced by that. Yeah, I I have a hard time, you know, thinking that like Sonic Youth wasn't listening to Brian Eno and the Talking Heads and. Yeah, just having such a different approach is really interesting to me. And not really, uh, Tears for Fears not really having uh, much interest in American music. Like, I read something that they, that their producer introduced them to Bruce Springsteen. Like, they didn't even know who Bruce, Bruce Springsteen was. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, to us sounds ridiculous, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I guess when I think about it now, it's like, I don't really have a relationship to English music in that way. You know, I don't, I don't think that I'm unintentional that I intentionally steer away from it or anything. Right. But it, it seems kind of like throughout the history of, of popular music, the, uh, like you have the Beatles, they were listening to American blues and that mm. kind of stuff. And we were listening to them yep. and it's just, it's just kind of, everybody's listening. to what's across the pond. Yeah. There was an exchange. Uh, Exactly. And coming up with completely different sounds that were based from where they weren't from. Yeah, totally. So when did you first start listening to this album, Macy? Uh, Of course, I'd heard the hits. Uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World and Head Over Heels. Uh, Just my parents' radio Mm. growing up. But... uh, it honestly, it might have been the comedy bang bang episode mm. where they, <laughs> yes, where they where they uh, where where Roland and Kurt came on to talk to Scott and they just uh, played a few songs and, and I was like these guys are pretty awesome and they were like impressively in on the joke like right. a lot of times on comedy bang bang they'll have musicians that get on and have no idea what they're getting themselves into yeah and. Tears for Fears, those dudes like were basically on top of the joke from the get go. Exactly, and they were and they were playing covers. That was when they were playing the uh, the uh, Arcade Fire and the, uh, the Animal, Animal Collective and Hot Chip. Right. Do y'all want to take a break to maybe listen to those covers real quick while we're on the topic? Yeah, let's do that. Yours, but I'm not. All the kids have always 
those covers ever before and i was really impressed by them they're they're original but they they feel close to the the song as well and i hadn't even heard this album until a couple days ago which was no one's fault but mine uh i just have a big a big hole in my music listening is 80s pop so macy how did you come to this album Besides, you know, your your parents' kind of music, like, what's your real connection with it? Uh, I, I mean, it was really just uh, deciding, to, just deciding to listen to more new wave, and just uh, just checking out what the hits were, and then discovering this album and finding it, and it and it, and realizing that it's something special. And uh, I do know that they had a lot of pressure to to after their first album. Because lyrically, they were they were they were uh, critically the first album did not go over well. That's the one with Mad World on it. That's right, but it, but it was commercially a success. But uh, but I, I had a note enemy that uh, sure they may be popular, but so was Reverend Jim Jones. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> gravy! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is vicious, my word. I feel like, I mean, like I was saying, I didn't really have any relationship to this album at all. Um, And I was almost, I mean, the singles, you can tell why they were popular. But really, when you're listening to the meat of the album, it it almost goes into prog rock. Like it. Yes. it, It really kind of develops in a way that I was not anticipating kind of the, the way the whole second half of the album feels um, after, I guess, the fourth track. Um, yeah. side, side B. 
Yes. It gets a lot looser. Yeah, it almost, side B and side A feel so different from each other. Um, mm-hmm. And in in a pleasant way, I, I don't think that I would have enjoyed this album near as much if they kind of crushed several more bangers into side B. Um, I So are we assuming that some of this prog rock kind of influence is derivative of the Eno sound of kind of um, post-Roxy music? I feel like it's undeniable. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, I, I, I was looking at how they recorded a lot of this music, and they started with, with a drum box and synths, and then just kind of jam out a song. Just try to figure it out from the drums and the synth and mm-hmm. go from there. And just try to fit uh, fit songs into interesting sounds. And that mm-hmm. sounds a lot like Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does a whole lot. Macy, what's your favorite track from this album? Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Head Over Heels. It's it's a great, and I love I love a good reprise. Because <laughs> uh, because you have broken kind of sandwiched uh, sandwiching Head Over Heels, and that whole that whole time is a uh, is a really really fun, like the the loose funky jam of Broken, which starts yeah. out going to be kind of a bummer kind of yeah music. but then it, it really kind of kicks into high gear and just seamlessly goes into head over heels mm. and back again Grant, what was your favorite i'm gonna track? i'm gonna agree with that uh head over heels has been one of my favorite 80s songs for the past you know five five to ten years um i really really love that song I love the way on the album that they have it with the live broken at the end. Yeah. Um, the tie-in between that is, you know, it, it for Head Over Heels being such kind of a conventional song and then to, for it to devolve into what broken is at the end of it, uh, it just kind of hits the sweet spot for me that I don't really get anywhere else on the album. It feels it feels much more experimental. Yeah. Um, what about you? Um, speaking of feeling kind of a little bit more experimental, I really find myself fascinated by Listen. Ooh, yeah. Like, that song's just really interesting to me. I think my favorite song will probably forever be Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Sure. That The way that song floats in, kind of, is... And there's it, no there's no real chorus. There it's no, not at all. Catchy it's, the whole time. It's kind of a it's a complete masterpiece of some menagerie between ambience and pop music that I I still don't really understand why it works, but man, it's a it's a beautiful song. Um Listen is just so it's it's very jarring. Um, it, it's a very unconventional way to end an album. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I find, I, I don't know how much I would kind of go back to that one just in a regular kind of setting, but, um, and I, it, I don't know where else on the album it could go. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I can't really place how it would fit somewhere else, but man, I just think it's a very interesting and, haunting uh kind of way to to end a very cathartic album yeah and it's and it's six minutes long and half of it's in spanish 
and it, but it's still so interesting the whole time. And this was one of the songs that I had mentioned to uh, to Grant earlier. It's it sounds a little bit like Earth Song by Michael Jackson. Huh. Mm. Huh. Sense of those, uh, just a vibe I got, which, of course, Earth Song came out eight or nine years after that, but just a just an interesting vibe. So, do we want to play kind of another uh, quick selection from the album before we do final thoughts? I think everybody wants to rule the world is has got to be played at this point.
It's probably the most conditional. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, that said, we were just kind of talking about how it's this weird masterpiece of ambience and pop kind of at the same time. Like Macy was saying, there's no chorus. Which I right. don't I don't think I realized that until Macy said that. I don't think I put that together I at all. Either. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um and I think that kind of leads me into what I was thinking about for our kind of final thoughts here is it's a very unconventional number one album that somehow we put as being an album that comprised a decade when it might just be the perfect album by a group of people who, I don't know, maybe maybe are more interesting than we originally thought. Well, that's right. that's an interesting point, too, because it's difficult whenever you're watching their music videos, specifically uh, Head Over Heels, there's a very like distinct cheesiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, intentional. They talk about, like, the style of it feels like your very basic 80s music video, to some extent. But they also are, like, snarky in it. And, like, it almost feels sarcastic in some ways. But it has a, it has a good mix of humor. Like, uh, I don't know, I don't know, Holton, if you've seen that recently. Um, but Macy and I were talking about it earlier. The keyboardist is just a total goofball. <laughs> and, like, there's, so a, weird. there's a scene, so it's all shot in a library, and there's a scene where the keyboardist is talking to the librarian, and a keyboard floats in out of nowhere <laughs> o- over the librarian and onto the counter, and he's playing the keyboard just, like, Eye during to eye the, with the librarian. During <laughs> it's yeah, it's during the solo part, and he's he's clearly not playing what's playing. He's just playing with one finger, kind of right. sliding it up, he's just running it up and down the keyboard, like yeah. <laughs> so bizarre. In the face. That's very strange. I mean, this kind of gets into something a little bit different, but you know, used to when bands signed record deals that included music videos, um, part of the the catch with the music videos that were usually included in the contract is that the music videos had to include shots of the band members playing the song. So there is actually a whole world out there of music videos of bands fake playing their own songs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that's and the other two videos that i watched uh everybody wants to rule the world and shout they're they're both pretty straightforward just kind of uh landscapes of of like a cliff and them singing right into the camera but also there's like a real bizarre like weirdness to it like almost like a david byrne weirdness to it where you can't quite tell what is like authentic mm-hmm. and what is like where the joke is joke because yeah. there's clear hokiness joke that's intentional and it's mm-hmm. almost like laughing when you don't know if you're supposed to be laughing laughing yeah, and, or not and in the shout video a little at the end of the song they're all in this like this area playing their instruments and just like 
50 or 60 white people are all interesting. <laughs> yes. And like and, li- little kids I, clapping I, and like. Strange. And it reminds me of the, the, the rat-a-tat video of just people turning and smiling at the camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's a good comparison. Okay. So, Macy, you were able to see them live. Yes, um, I at what it was a free press in Houston, right? Yeah, a little music festival. Okay, so what was that like? I, it was before. I mean, I, I it was before I kind of got into them. That was part of the reason I kind of looked looked heavier into them. But uh, yeah. it was just one of those middle of the day uh, shows of like a like a legacy act that you that is like oh that'd be cool to see Tears for Fears. Sure, you know, I know those three songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then going there and just for a band that doesn't like to play live, which I found mm-hmm. out, they're really good live, and uh, mm-hmm. and and really a really hip band. We were talking about those covers earlier, like they they covered Arcade Fire and and Radiohead when I saw them. And oh, they covered like, Radiohead. Yeah, they what? covered Creep. No kidding. Yeah, but uh, but just for a band that's been doing it for that long just to be to still have their finger on the pulse of music is, is pretty interesting oh yeah okay so they've got on spotify they've got great covers of ready to start by arcade fire uh and i was a boy from school by hot chip which is also a fantastic cover and um my girls by animal collective and anybody that is into tears for fears or those bands at all I highly recommend getting on Spotify and going through and listening to them because they are they're very conventional takes on the al- on the songs but they have this distinct 80s new wave vibe to them that is like real earnest and organic and I enjoy it a lot. I don't Yeah, they're they're uh, able to catch what the song is the original song is but to make it very tears for fears yes at the same time and uh man it is very worth listening to Mm. so how how do you think that your relationship to this album will change uh kind of over the next you know decade or so do you think that you'll kind of macy end up enjoying this album more and we might see more kind of synth pop kind of in the world of music even more than we do now or will this kind of feel more like a relic that's a good question i don't i don't know maybe the reason it hasn't aged as well as as other things is there's only eight songs on the album and you can only listen to those eight songs so many times before you get completely done with them but uh, i mean but synth pop is is (laughs) on it's fun to listen to, and uh, and it has opened me up into listening to more '80s, uh, new wave, Duran Duran, that kind of mm. stuff. Really, really going into those things as well. Mm. Was there anything? I know you're a huge Prince fan. Was there yeah. was there anything specific you wanted to talk about Prince in regards to maybe um, the the comparisons between these albums coming out at the same time as some of those Prince albums? Oh well, I mean, there there are moments in uh, uh, Mother's Talk that sound very princely, parade era. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
And uh, yeah. And also, it sounds like the bass line sounds like disco. It sounds like the uh, I Feel Love uh, ah. bass line, Gone to Summer. Uh, it's just, Which it's, she also had a number one hit right around this time as well. Um, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess Around the World in a Day was the Prince album that came out uh, in 85, which would have been the same year. Yeah. Not parade. Parade was the year after. Yeah, it's got Raspberry Beret and right. Paisley Park, uh, some of those tracks. It's very strange to me how similar some of that music sounds, even though they're coming from like totally different places. I think it all starts with the drums. The drums yes. on this album are amazing. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, this this wouldn't have been again an album even like five years ago that I probably would have enjoyed. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad that I got a chance to listen to it now because being late to the party is one of the most enjoyable things that we can do. So, mm-hmm. Macy, thanks again for, for uh, recommending this album to us and coming on and talking about it. It was a blast. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, do, you, if, do you have anything else you would like to add or plug? <laughs> hey. I don't have anything to plug. Okay. Well, <laughs> give us... Give us the top three bands that you're listening to right now. Oh, man. Uh, I've been listening to the new Kanye releases. Do you have any thoughts on this? What's your your power ranking of the different Kanye releases? Pusha T1. Uh, (laughs) Mild applause. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I, I really enjoyed Kids See Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was a, a really fun listen. And, uh, and then way down the list. I didn't love Ye, but it was fine. Yeah. It's and a... uh, I, I didn't love the Nas album, but it was there was there were some bangers on there, though. So for me, I think it's, at this point, it is, uh, it's going to be Daytona. And then... I believe I'm going to push Nas up above Kids See Ghosts, which I think yeah. might be controversial. Yeah. The Kids See Ghosts, and then Yay. That, that I guess, is my my rankings as well. I think I would put Yay at like six or seven. Sure. I, I don't have strong feelings uh, that are positive about that album. But, man, talking about Kids See Ghosts briefly, since we haven't yet, that doesn't... It feels more like a Kanye album than it does a Cuddy album. That's interesting. I'd like sure. I'd like to hear more about that because I was I think the exact opposite. Um, I think the way I something that I really like uh, about Men on the Moon Two is I the way the production is layered is so different than the way Kanye typically does things. Um. I, I, I feel like it it ends up feeling some of the Cuddy songs that I like end up feeling like more one wave of sound versus like different segments uh, of lines and production kind of put together. Mm. Um, Kids See Ghost to me feels like the way that Kanye often does things where it's like, oh shit, here's this 50s soul sample, and now we're getting back to the grimy beat, and then we're gonna have a weirdo Rasta drum part come in. Like, 
that kind of like ramshackle way of of putting pieces together uh, usually goes of what I don't think of when I think of Cuddy. When I think of Cuddy, I think of one more big wash of of sound instead of kind of individual pieces. I can appreciate that sentiment, but how much time have you spent listening to the most recent Cuddy albums? <laughs> well, yeah, none. I mean, uh, none is none is too you know that's that's too strong. But that's why I was trying to compare it more to you know Man on the Moon too. It's yeah. kind of the stuff okay. the stuff from Cuddy that I like the most kind I, of has a different vibe, I guess. I agree with you on that totally. But whenever I've gone, because believe it or not, I have made it all the way through Speeding Bullet to Heaven. <laughs> which, uh, I'm not sure why I did that. Because it's, liter- it's literally like 26 songs. Good gravy, is it really? Yeah, it's a very long album. And <laughs> it's very bad. <laughs> It's incredibly bad. I I hate being critical of musicians that have made it and have reached like levels of success that I'll never be able to reach. And it's kind of like the whole argument, like, could the best college football team beat the worst NFL football team? And I laugh at that <laughs> argument, but I honestly think that I could make a better album than Speeding Bullet to Heaven. <laughs> like... With no musical talent and uh, no, no, you know, poor vocal quality and I'm a poor lyricist, I think I could make a better album than Speeding Bullet to Heaven. You sound All like right. the uh, Last Jedi people that are going to raise <laughs> Hey, uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> there's going to be a link in the podcast info for my <laughs> Kick, Kickstarter for, for the for new my album. Kickstarter for for the new Grant Improves Speeding <laughs> Bullet to Heaven by Kid Cudi. Geesty's Club Mix. It's just going to be full of bangers, guys. <laughs> oh man! All right. Speaking of being full of bangers, let's uh let's let's close it there. Um. Thanks again for for listening, and uh, we'll catch up with everybody again soon.